This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Jesus speaking here in verse 19 to 21. Part of his Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whenever we become born again, we find that a revolution takes place in our lives. All things pass away. All things become new. Our values, our perceptions of life, our goals, our ambitions take on a whole new meaning. We live in a material world, but as believers, we're governed by a spiritual world. Physically, we are locked into and are limited by that which is earthly. But spiritually, we are loosed and liberated to enjoy that which is heavenly. So one part of us is mortal, earthly, material. The other part of us is eternal, spiritual, and heaven-bound. But because of this dichotomy, the relationship between the physical and the spiritual, between the earthly and the heavenly, we often sense a conflict between the flesh and the spirit, between the old and the new, between what was and what now is. And so until Jesus comes, we're going to have to contend between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. The apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And James said in James 4, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And so there's this tussle goes on between the flesh and the spirit, between the heavenly and the earthly. And Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount, he reiterates this principle in a very vivid and very practical down-to-earth way. If I may read it again for you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The word treasure, Thayer said it means things laid up in a treasury, something precious. By the way, we get the word thesaurus comes from this word treasury also. It's the same root word. And we know that a thesaurus is a treasury uh, of, of words and, and further words that we can get. But things laid up in a treasury, something that's precious. Strong's Concordance says a deposit, wealth. Alexander McLaren said, what our Lord means here by treasure is not merely money or material goods, but whatever each man thinks best, 
that which he most eagerly strives to attain, that which he dreads the most to lose, that which, if he has, he thinks he will be blessed, that which, if he has not, he knows he is discontented. So all of us have in our lives things that we would count as treasure. And we need to be very understand that, that whatever our treasure is going to be, it's got to be very, very important. We'll see that in a moment. The word heart is cardia, K-R-K-A-R-D-I-A, which is where we get cardiac from. But in this sense, it means the whole inner man, the thoughts, the purposes, the affections, the volition, the thinking, the feeling, the loving, the dreams, the whole inner person, the heart. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, the Bible says. And so we need to know that our treasure, our heart will follow our treasure. Whatever our treasure may be, our heart will follow it. It's so, so important to understand this. Our treasure affects us. Our heart follows our treasure. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What demands our time, our energy, what consumes our resources, what dominates our thoughts, what determines our choices, whatever that may be, that is your treasure. That's your passion. What do you think about the most? What do you talk about the most? What do you give to the most? What do you do the most? That is a good indicator that that is your treasure, your affection. How is your affection affecting you? Because whatever your affection is, whatever your treasure is, it will affect your heart. It's unavoidable. It will happen. It will be. And there's lots of warnings. Paul talks about this in Colossians 3, 2. He says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Of course, in life, we must have things. We cannot live without things. We need homes, we need transportation, we need a chair to sit on. <laughs> we need things. I mean, even Jesus admitted that. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. So there's nothing wrong with that. We have to be diligent, we have to work hard, we have to pay due attention, we must provide for our family, for our children, things are necessary, and God's not against things. But what we have to be careful of, and I think in Matthew 6, this is what Jesus is getting at, to make sure that we have the proper balance in life, to make sure that those things don't become our treasures that our heart will follow, that our heart will follow. That's the danger. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I often think if Demas had us stuck with the Apostle Paul, there might have been an epistle of Demas. I might have been telling you now to turn to chapter 1 of Demas. But he didn't. Somewhere in the journey of faith, somewhere in the 
apprenticeship with the Apostle Paul, that he was taking this spiritual apprenticeship. Somewhere, his treasure, which was this world, became so important to him that his heart followed it. And he left Paul, and he left the work of God, and he left God for this world. Because that's what his treasure had become. And his heart followed his treasure. We know the story of Esau. Esau had the, the birthright, and he had the blessing of the birthright, which was a major thing to have the blessing of the birthright. It was important spiritually. It was important materially. It was important within the family. It was important for so many reasons. And he had it. But it wasn't his treasure. It was Jacob's treasure, and he didn't have it. And he pursued it. But it wasn't Esau's treasure. His treasure was hunting his treasure was out in the woods. His treasure was having fun. His treasure was being an outdoor man. That was his treasure. That's what his heart followed. And it left him till he sold his birthright for a dish of lentils because it wasn't his treasure. Your heart will follow your treasure. King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3, is interesting. In 1 Kings chapter 3, this is just as he's coming to the throne. It says in verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness in heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? That was his heart. That was his treasure. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he wanted to be. That's what he asked God for. Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord. And Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, or have asked riches for yourself, or have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall be any arise like you after, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you that which you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among all the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will, I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. 
And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. And so this is Solomon. And he is, his heart is to serve the Lord in this unique way to be able to be a wise king, to be able to be a just king, to be a compassionate king, to understand God's people and to help them. That's what his heart was. But it didn't stay that way. If only it had stayed that way, but it didn't. And what began to happen was that his riches, his wealth, his influence, his power it began to get the better of him. And then he began to make alliances with other nations around him. Kings would often do this to try to keep peace. And to do that, what better way than to marry the daughter of an Egyptian king or a Phoenician king or whoever. And God didn't like that, didn't want that. But his heart was changing. His heart was changing from that simple prayer to this, in chapter 11, it says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, the woman of the Moabites, and the Ammonites, and the Edomites, and the Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts away after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Notice how his heart is changed. And he's following his heart. That's his treasure has changed. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is on the east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. They burned their children to this god. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So did you see how his heart began to change? He had a new treasure, and his heart began to follow that treasure until it actually ruined and destroyed the man. You remember the well-known story in 2 Kings chapter 5 and how that great Syrian commander Naaman, but who was a leper, 
And how that his little <laughs> Hebrew maid said, I wish he would go to Israel because there's a prophet there who would deliver him from this terrible affliction. And so he went. And he went to the king and he took great gifts with him. And the king said, you trying to start a war with me? Do you think I'm God? What can I do but leprosy? And the word got back to Elisha and Elisha says, send him to me and then he'll know that there is a God in Israel. And so you remember how that he went to see Elisha and it says in verse 9, then Naaman went with his horses, this is 2 Kings 5, Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? And anybody that stood at the Jordan, I tell you, you wouldn't want to go and dip in it. It's not too nice looking. No wonder he said that. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then, he says, do you wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. But notice this. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God on all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing may the Lord God pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans upon my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Ah, where is his heart? You would have thought his heart would have been with Elisha. You'd have thought his heart would have been to serve the living God, the one, the only one who could heal a man of leprosy. He was there. He saw it with his own eyes. Surely his heart would have been for that God. But no, that's not his treasure. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master sent me, he's a liar, isn't he? My master sent me saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. 
So Naaman said, Please, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of the servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, to the city, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. He put it into his own house. Now he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? <laughs> I'm sure his heart was beating out of his chest at this point. I'm sure his legs went like jelly. But notice what Elisha said. Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? That was the two things he asked for, wasn't it? Money and clothing. Is it time to receive money and clothing? But notice what he says. Olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. He didn't ask for that, but it was in his heart. That's what he really wanted. He wanted a name for himself. He wanted to be rich and famous. That's what his treasure was. Even though he didn't ask, he asked for garments and he asked for money, but he wanted much, much more than that because that was his heart. Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous, as white as snow. My late brother-in-law, when he preached that one time, he says, Gehaz, I want a new suit. <laughs> and he says he got one. He says it was snow white and skin tight. <laughs> and so we see how, here how that our, our heart follows our treasure. Our treasure, secondly, reflects us. It reflects on who and what we really are. And so since our heart is following our treasure, we need to ask the question, where is it leading us? What is it leading us to? What is it leading us to do? Because it's leading us somewhere. It's going to have some effect on us which will reflect on who we are. Does it reflect us being a part of God's house? Well, it certainly reflects that in your life because you're here. And so many aren't. But you're here. I, I never cease to be amazed and how believers treat God's house. You'd think that after all of these years, I still wouldn't be amazed, but I am. Sometimes I shake my head. For some, they make no effort, no bother, no commitment to the house of the Lord. And yet they're believers. They say they want to go to heaven, live there forever, <laughs> but they can hardly bring themselves to be in God's house on earth. Hmm. I think it shows a little understanding of what they understand that church is and what God designed it to do. And it becomes obvious to me that for many of them, it's, 
It's not their treasure. It's just not their treasure. Other things are well ahead of it. It's way down the packing order. It's not their treasure. <laughs> There's a, an affliction that attacks the believer. It's called Morbus Sabbaticus. <laughs> Better known as Sunday sickness. It's a disease peculiar to some church members. The symptoms vary, but these are generally observed. It never lasts more than 24 hours. <laughs> it never interferes with the appetite. <laughs> it never affects the eyes. The Sunday papers can be read with no pain, and television seems to help the eyes. No physician is ever called. And after a few attacks at weekly intervals, it may become chronic and even terminal. No symptoms are usually felt on Saturday. The patient sleeps, wakes up feeling well, he eats a hearty Sunday breakfast, then the attack comes from out of nowhere and lasts until the church service is over. <laughs> the patient feels better later on during the day and eats a solid dinner. After dinner, he takes a nap. Then he watches one or two football games on TV. He may take a walk before supper and stop and chat with neighbors. If there's any church services scheduled for Sunday evening, he will have another short attack. <laughs> Invariably, he wakes up Monday morning, rushes off to work, feeling refreshed. These symptoms may not recur until the following Sunday unless another service is scheduled at the church during the week. Morbus sabbaticus. It's a problem. <laughs> ah. Listen to what David said. Psalm 84 and 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I what? Will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 122, 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing an Old Testament saint loves the house of God more than many New Testament saints? <laughs> no wonder I scratch my head sometimes. And we have so much more. We have been given so much more. And yet there's David with all of the limitations of the Old Testament and the old system, with all of that, he loved the house of the Lord. He loved it. Jesus loved the house of God. Jesus was always found in the house of the Lord on the Sabbath. The synagogue or the temple. That was his practice. That was his practice. So does our treasure reflect the house of God? Does our treasure reflect our giving? <coughs> Do we give to the house of the Lord? Thankfully, so many of you do. And that's why we can bless so many people, because you do that. 
And that's wonderful. Ever always do that. Sally and I and she before me, from the day and we got saved, we decided, come what may, we were going to bless the house of the Lord. And do you know what? God has blessed us in more ways than we can shake a stick at. It's wonderful. You never, ever can outgive God. Our treasure reflects us. Our treasure connects us. Connects us to earth. It connects us to heaven. Jesus warns that there's two things that can happen to our earthly treasure. They can pass away slowly or they can pass away quickly. <laughs> they can pass away slowly. Moth and rust corrupts. If a big bumblebee flew into your living room, you would hear it before you saw it, wouldn't you? If a blue bottle flew into your living room, you'd hear it before you seen it. But a moth comes. It comes in the night. And usually you neither hear it nor see it. And gets into your wardrobe. And quietly and slowly, it begins to eat holes in your beautiful garments. Rust quietly and slowly eats away at that metal. Makes no sound, makes no noise. Quietly and slowly it eats away. But it destroys just the same. And so, if our treasure are things, stuff, it can sometimes slowly pass away. But it can sometimes suddenly pass away. Jesus says where thieves break through and steal. We had to get an alarm system fitted to our home up there because there was quite a number of break-ins. Uh, there's a reason for that which I'll not go into, but there's quite a number of break-ins in our estate. And uh, I remember one time there's a lady come home. Uh, she lives just at the mouth of our estate and she came home one day and the whole house was empty. Gone, everything. Furniture, lot, all gone. Apparently a big lorry, a big truck had drove up and they just emptied it and people saw that but they thought maybe she was moving, she was flitting, she was gone. They didn't understand it. No, she wasn't there. She didn't know. But the thieves knew and they just emptied the house. And so it can be gone suddenly. Everything gone in a moment. And Jesus warned that if, if our treasure is earthly, if that's all we have, and we don't have the heavenly, it can go away either slowly or suddenly. It can go, but it will go away. If fair means are foul, it will go away. In Luke chapter 12, when Jesus actually says the same thing at a different time and a different place. He's speaking here in Galilee, but in Luke 12, he's speaking in Judea. And by the way, he repeated himself. So for those of you who don't like preachers who repeat themselves, Jesus repeated himself often. You know why? Because we're forgetful hearers. And sometimes we have to say again and again. And he talked about that, passing away. Matthew 6, 20, how do you lay up treasures in heaven? 
because he says to us, lay up treasures in heaven, for it won't be moth-eaten or rusty, or thieves will not break in and steal. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? What are the treasures that you lay up? Your prayers, for one. Your prayers are treasures that you lay up in heaven. God loves our prayers. And we send them up to him. We lay them up before his throne. I'm sure God keeps a record of them. Keeps a record of everything. Because one day we'll have to answer to that record. Our worship. When we worship, whether it's in the house of God or whether it's in our home or in our car, wherever we may be, however we worship, we're laying up treasure in heaven. Our service, however we serve him, we're laying up treasure in heaven. Our giving, our love for God, all of this is treasure in heaven. It's spiritual. It's not material, it's spiritual. Because we're going to take not one sausage with us. Nothing. Not one single solitary brass yazoo. Nothing. The only thing we can send up there is spiritual. Listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. <laughs> God has got inheritance for his children reserved in heaven. No thief can steal it. No moth can eat it. No rust can canker it. It's laid up for us. Luke 12, Jesus says, A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, where no moth destroys. What is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Above and beyond all of the things that we need, all of the things that we do, and God's not against those, but above and beyond all of that, we better have a better treasure because that's what our heart's going to follow in the end. So make sure it's something that honors God and pleases God and worships God and something that we can give to God because then that's where our heart is going. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have a great inheritance for us. It's waiting, it's allocated, it's there. Our name is on it. So we give you thanks for it. And Lord, while we live in this earth, the days that you have allotted to us, long or short, we're going to find a way to serve you and to love you and to follow you. Because Lord, that's our treasure. And that's what our heart will follow. So we bless you for that. And we give you thanks for all of your goodness towards us. 
Lord, where would be us be tonight if it wasn't for your mercy and your goodness? We shudder to think. So we bless you, Lord, for that. And as we go into another week, we pray for your good hand to be upon us, for your favor to surround us, for your protecting hand, Lord, to be upon us, for your blessing, Lord. We give you thanks for it. And help us to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.